those are the rules of pop duos. One is the blonde one. and welcome to the Euro What, episode 127 for the week of August 2nd, 2021. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week, we'll be doing a deep dive on the New Wave competition. How's it going, Ben? It's good, Mike. How are you? Doing great. I'm really excited that there is a bonus Eurovision Again experience We are recording this Saturday morning before the 2006 Eurovision Again special. Uh, I assume it's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, so we will be doing our retro look at it the way that we've been covering Eurovision Again. But Eurovision managed to find the original high def recording of this contest. Looking through storage, cleaning up boxes in the attic and found one labeled HD test. It does not include the postcards. We're going to air it as it is, and you're going to get to see the stage transition. Yeah, that I think that's going to be really cool as well, because it's amazing what the stage crews are able to do in such a short window of time. And, and we're going to get to view it in crystal clarity. Yes. They shared some photos of the before and after of what the digitization is done. Lordy's makeup is going to look pretty spiffy, I think. I know that we're only getting the final day, but give us Sylvia Knight in full crystal clarity, you coward. Yeah. <laughs> that was another thing that they announced this week is that they're uh, going to start upgrading some of the semifinal performances in their archives. That would be a good one to throw in the mix there. The internet is going to yell at them to do that, so just do it now. We, we have retroactively realized we were wrong about that one. Mm. <laughs> I say that, but also... Yeah, yeah. I, I do love a good snarky Eurovision entry. All right. Looking ahead to 2022, the bid books for the Italy host cities are due on Wednesday. I haven't heard of any cities that have dropped out yet, so maybe... It is actually going to be a competition. We'll see who gets their paperwork in. Uh, another thing to watch for is Monaskin's dominance of the U.S. charts. Continued rise? Yeah. I don't understand why it's this song of all of the songs, but Begin is the one that's doing the numbers. It is at number 35 as we record. They have cracked the top 40 like we said they were going to do. That's really unheard of for a Eurasian act in the US. This is a new era, which is very exciting. Began was one of the covers that they did on X Factor Italia, and they put out a compilation of a number of their cover performances. That album's called Chosen, and right now it's at 108 on the US charts. In terms of US music press, they're getting a lot of coverage. They did an interview with Rolling Stone, which, again, you don't see that happening with the winner of Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billboard's been uh, chatting with Duncan quite a bit recently because Arcade is still doing well. It's at its new peak right now of number 57, and it's also going to be on the next edition of Now That's What I Call Music, which I didn't realize was still a thing in the streaming era, but I guess it is. Somebody is still purchasing CDs at Target. Yeah. And it's your mom. Thanks, mom. Uh, so- <laughs> Thanks, moms. They just want all of the hits of today in one easy place. Yeah, that's what it's there for. It- it'll be... Interesting to see if and how that boosts things for Duncan. This is a fun era to be at the beginning of. Mike, question for you. Who's going to get a kids' bop cover first? Monoskin or Duncan? (sighs) 
Oof. I was thinking, where is the Duncan Kids Pop cover? Because it feels like that should have happened by now. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know what the Kids Pop life cycle is, because no. But <laughs> no, because, no, yeah, fully agreed on that. Although after cringing through, I think, maybe 30 seconds of what they did to Lizzo, truth hurts. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really want to see what the focus group behind however they make a Kids Bob version of a song would do I want to be your slave. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that as being the first entry uh, in the Kids Bob series. No, probably not. But you never know. The Italian version of Kids Bob did Soul D. And I, I think when they recreated the music video, they didn't bother with the back tattoo part of it. Because uh, they tr- also tried to do a one-to-one match with the music videos. And yeah. I'm going to be honest for a second and thought that you were making up Italian Kids Bop, and I do not want to Google. Of course there's Italian Kids Bop. Of oh, course. Oh, yeah. When we talked about Kids Bop, I think this was in reference to Poland 2019. One of our listeners sent us a link to the Kids Bop version of Soldi. I'm at the, the exact right level of knowledge about this where I do not want to go further. Mm, I've got a surprise for you later. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not how I wanted to segue into today's topic. The way that I wanted to do that was to talk about Spain announcing that they will be doing a national selection next year. Uh, by restarting the Benidorm Music Festival. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a festival that was based on San Remo, ran from 1959 to 2006, and they're bringing it back to help them choose their entry for next year's Eurovision. Awesome. I, I like that Spain is playing around with their choice options. They've been one of the big five that we've talked about needing to switch things up. Mm-hmm. They're continuing to try things. And I like to see that. Yes. And it's also making me wonder if that might be a trend for this year. Let's all do our very long music festivals to choose our Eurovision entry. I'm hoping that the Winter Olympics are going to sideline some of those plans because I do not want February to be weeks and weeks within a single week. I have already written the words ice dancing in large letters in my planner for february please do not screw this up eurovision yeah the number of selection shows that we had this year was a good number like it felt very manageable i want to be spending at least some time watching someone rocket themselves down a luge track on the tiniest sled in terms of dates and stuff we know that it's probably going to happen in february and that there's going to be some combination of jury and public vote but format more specific timing all that information will be available at some point in the future. Keep an eye out for that. In terms of other festivals that happen in the various countries that participate in Eurovision, one that keeps popping up, particularly when we're talking about contestant bios, is the New Wave Festival, particularly with contestants from Eastern Europe and the former Soviet states. Oftentimes, they will have New Wave on their resume. So I thought it might be interesting to dig into that festival because this year's edition is coming up later this month. Ben, what do you know about the New Wave Festival? Let's see. So I think Dorados was the first time I had seen it on a contestant bio and gone, oh, what's the New Wave? Mm Mm-hmm. Because when I see New Wave, my brain immediately goes to 80s music. It goes to things like Cyndi Lauper, to various groups there. But that's not what this is. And then the other one where I remember seeing it, although we never really got to discuss the act, Cypress's act from 2020 had represented America in the New Wave. It's one of those things where it's not streaming anywhere and I would love to watch it. So I think that's part of the reason I don't know more is because it's an event that happens in music and there are videos online after the fact, but trying to get anything more than that, there's a barrier 
to not being able to see it. Yes, to being able to see it and being able to research it. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not archived the way that Eurovision stuff is archived everywhere. And and I think part of it is the, the streaming issue. And also, well, let me get into talking about Old Wave before we get into New Wave. The first form of this competition happened in 1986, and it was the Jermala Young Pop Singer Competition uh, taking place in Latvia. It was founded by Raymond Pauls. He is a composer and has a massive catalog of musical works. He's also a politician and worked with the Ministry of Culture within Latvia. And this is back in USSR time, so Latvia was part of the USSR, and formed this competition to showcase young singers in the field of pop music. Jamala is a resort town just outside of Riga. It, it's common for resort towns like this to have music festivals. San Remo is the same way. Here in the United States, Aspen has a music festival. The Aspen Festival is more on musicianship and instrumentation mm-hmm. part of music, whereas this festival really was about showcasing young singers. The first edition took place in 1986, was very popular, and continued into the early 90s. During that time, Raymond's Pauls ended up becoming Latvia's Minister of Culture, so he was able to get government support and really build up this program. Now, this was also at the same time that the USSR was starting to design Resolve. Tensions are really high, and you, you might be surprised that quasi-international competition might get a little political. The 1992 edition ended up becoming really contentious, particularly with Latvia's relationship with Russia at this point. Russia was not allowed to participate in the contest. The Russian language wasn't allowed in the contest, and other limits to the contest were implemented. So there were only 15 contestants, and there was even a documentary made about the competition called Jermala 92 that highlights everything that was going on with this competition. With the level of instability, they ended up pausing the contest through the rest of the 90s. Latvia had other priorities at that point. Raymond Pauls was the Minister of Culture until 1993, so he was there through this transition period. And he stuck around in politics for a while, and he was able to foster an environment where this competition could thrive once everybody got their priorities in order. In 2002, they decided to bring back the Summer Music Festival. And in doing so, they set up a partnership with Igor Krutoy, who is a Ukrainian-Russian composer and uh, producer. One of his companies owns one quarter of the network Muse TV, which is basically the Russian version of MTV, only they actually play music videos. There is this music ecosystem and media presence now that can be brought in to help bolster this competition. So you've got the Latvian government and Latvian organizers that have this festival and framework already built out. And now you have this media distribution component, particularly in Russia, which is going to be the biggest audience in the area, coming together to make this festival happen. So they're in pretty good shape. Meanwhile, I'm just Googling what the Russian word for ridiculousness is. In, in, in case MTV Russia <laughs> wants to slow down all of their music programming, like American MTV has. Yeah, I'm, I wonder what their version of Jersey Shore would be. Their catfish must be amazing. Uh, anyway. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
when they brought back the festival, it was renamed New Wave, but it maintained a lot of the components of the original Jamala Music Festival. So it's still an international contest. It's predominantly Eastern Europe and former Soviet Socialist Republics. So Ukraine, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. But now that the Iron Curtain isn't a thing at this point, they're able to make this much more of an international competition. There really aren't any limits on who can participate other than it being acts that can consist of up to six people. Everybody has to be aged 16 to 30. So this is definitely skewing more towards the American Idol format of music competition. It is primarily soloists that compete. Sometimes you do have duos and a group here and there, but it's usually individual performers that that are competing. The audition process is pretty rigorous. There are three rounds uh, of auditions. Each contestant has a repertoire of three songs that they're working with. One is a worldwide hit. One is a hit from your home country. And one is an original song. In the first round of auditioning, you just do an online submission of your performances of these three songs. The juries will look at it and invite contestants to take part in what they call the national selection round. In this round, you're actually auditioning in front of jury members, and they will give feedback to contestants who may be advancing in the competition. And even though it's called a national selection, it's possible that there could be more than one person from a country being brought into both this phase and the next phase of the competition. So this phase is is you are actually walking into the hotel room and performing for Randy, Paula, and Simon. Right. So the third round is the semifinal. And this is where all of the contestants that have advanced from the national selection will compete. Up to 15 contestants will advance. As I mentioned, the research for this has been uh, a little tricky just because things aren't archived very well. Also, Google Translate doesn't really know what to do with Russian-based languages. (laughs) It's such a direct translation that uh, you get some very weird turns of phrase, such as Mm -hmm. in explaining how the 15 contestants will advance. Following the additional auditions of the applicants, the competent jury will announce the final names of the finalists. And it just makes you wonder, oh, is there an incompetent jury that's also weighing in on this? Can we just have a video? feed on the incompetent jury please as well and that just makes me think of the the monty python sketch where they're announcing the election results and you have the silly party in each area <laughs> the audition phase usually takes place between february to april the actual competition happens towards the end of summer this year's competition is happening in august it has happened in september and as early as july but it's usually this time of year that the contest is happening the actual festival. It's a six-day event. There's only three days of actual competition. There's also two days of concerts with acts from primarily Russia and Eastern Europe. And then the the final day is concerts mixed in with results from the festival. The first contest was held in 2002. There were 15 contestants and they represented 10 countries. Five of those contestants were from Russia. The alumni from that year included Dima Balan, who went on to win Eurovision in 2008. And the winning act of the 2002 contest was a group called Smash, with two exclamation points. Do you know anything about Smash? I do not know anything about Smash. Please enlighten me. 
I, I, I thought I did, but then I realized I was thinking of Eurodance Act. Snap. So if you go to my Google, when I type in Smash, my top hits were Super Smash Brothers and the NBC show Smash. I, that was what I was expecting to be number one for you. Yeah, both of them are very on brand for me. Like number three should also be on brand for me because Smash is a pop duo that formed in the year 2000 featuring Vlad Topolov and Sergei Lazarev. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't familiar with Vlad Topolov, so looking up his wiki, the way that he is described in the first paragraph is, he is most famous for his singing career when he rose to fame as the blonde-haired member of the group Smash. And <laughs> What you're telling me is that he's the Andrew Ridgely of this Wham! situation. Yeah, to the point where I wasn't even sure how to describe this accurately, because it, it seems like it's more in the boy band realm, but since there's only two of them, like that's not really a band but it it feels very wham like down to the exclamation point wham is probably the closest analog i just latched onto the blonde haired member as if that's part of the (laughs) like pop duo archetype those are the rules of pop duos one is the blonde one digging a little deeper it turned out that they were both blonde at the time so they're just like okay sergey uh we're gonna dye your hair brown vlad you can stay blonde and then like that's how you would be able to tell the two apart i yeah Oh, 1999. (laughs) Those were the rules for 1999 boy bands. All of the boys have to have a distinct feature. One of them is the blonde one. Yeah, because blonde is a personality. So they were uh, both part of a children's group called Neposity, which is kind of a cross between Mickey Mouse Club, Menudo, and Kids Bop. Where it, it's this large group of kids. I think it said that it was like 15 kids. And in their performances, they would just rotate out and perform different songs and that sort of thing. At the same time in this group were the two women who are the group Tattoo. Okay. They're all friends and like competing against one another. In, in, in <laughs> just like, they're all co-workers. Yeah. The, the second that you compared it to Menudo or the Mickey Mouse Club, or the second that you hit puberty, you're gone. But it's also a workshop space for future stars like just thinking of all the people who came out of mickey mouse club you've got Hmm. two of the guys from nsync you've got britney spears christina aguilera ryan gosling it's just this pop star factory new wave was their first tv gig as a duo after winning new wave their first album came out in 2003 and they tried to represent russia at eurovision that was the year that tattoo was selected internally smash's second album came out in 2004 but the duo pretty much split up at that point they both had different career ambitions vlad may have had a substance abuse problem for a while there vlad and sergey weren't even talking to one another but they have had a couple of reunion performances since one as recently as earlier this year one article that i've read said that since they have both have had kids like they've bonded over that so that's nice so (laughs) they're both dads now yeah it's interesting this trajectory that a lot of these acts have gone on following new wave and there have been a lot of other notable items just from the 2002 contest the list of guest performers in the concert portion of the show philip kirkorov everyone's favorite yep toto cutunio Elora. Everybody's favorite chaotic ball of energy. Mm-hmm. Brainstorm, which was Latvia's debut act at the 2000 Eurovision Song Contest. And Lou Bega of Mambo Number no. 5 fame. Even though Lou Bega's not the biggest name, I think that is an indication of just how international and potentially influential this contest can be because the international acts that they bring in for future contests are pretty big deals. 
As you mentioned earlier, there have been Americans that have competed at New Wave. The runner-up in 2002 was an American named Marina Cello, and she was a contestant on The Voice in 2019. She's still doing the music competition circuit. I'm surprised with the 2019. I would assume if she was at 2002 New Wave, she would be first in line for The Voice. Who knows? She may have been first in line for The Voice, and The Voice just strung her along. It could also just be like where your career goes following this. The next example that I have is Jaden Felder, who won the competition in 2011. Following that, he had some minor hits in Poland and in a couple of other countries. He's still working the music industry, just like not necessarily in the United States. He's still producing music. And if you told me that San Marino or North Macedonia or Bulgaria reached out to him at some point in the last 10 years... That wouldn't really shock me. I think you get into this milieu of music competitions and it takes you to unexpected places. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, Sandro Nicholas competed in the 2019 contest, was supposed to represent Cyprus in 2020. I just checked in on what is Sandro up to right now, and he has had two rebrandings in the last two years. Yeah, yeah. I I think he's working through a lot of stuff right now. Working through some stuff, but now he's Tyler. In 2020, he rebranded as Sammy Clay. As of 2021, Sandro is now Tyler. The old Sandro can't come to the phone anymore. Given the success that a number of these contestants have had, this is a pretty healthy ecosystem for cultivating singing talent for the singing talent show circuit. If you go through the list of contestants, you're going to see a whole bunch of names that you're going to recognize either from Eurovision or from national selections, other people who have won the new wave. In 2007, Natalia Gordienko. You're up! Yep. 2009, Jamala. In 2017, it was won by Dorios, as you had mentioned earlier. And then 2019, it was won by Ines Nazeri, who was one of the favorites for the 2020 edition of Festival de Congas. So yeah, you do New Wave, you do Eurovision, you do all of these other festivals as well. For the most part, it's not a controversial competition, even though the original iteration of the music festival did have difficulties. It's been mostly a smooth ride for the 20-ish years that New Wave has existed. The one point of concern did revolve around the annexation of Crimea in 2014. In response to the annexation, Latvia instituted a ban on singers that were in support of the annexation or or had performed in Crimea after it had been annexed. That made it very difficult for Russian contestants to participate. The organization of New Wave, particularly the distribution side, is still primarily Russian-based. So that made organizing the 2014 contest very challenging. Raymond Pauls retired after the 2013 contest, so he really had no input on how to navigate this situation. 2014 was probably the most challenging year for this particular festival. Ultimately, it was held. There were Russian contestants, but the organizers decided that it would be easier to move the contest for future iterations. So in 2015, it was held in Sochi in a venue that was called the New Wave Hall. That seems like a very permanent move at this point. Is is that a repurposed 
Winter Olympics facility? Possibly. Uh, one of the other venues they were looking at was one of the Olympic parks. Having it part of the new Sochi in- infrastructure makes sense just because now we have all of the hotels and all of the amenities that would be necessary. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, I, I remember all of the chatter that Sochi is very much a resort town that's not necessarily associated with winter. Right. Which is why that games was unusual. But yeah, like it makes sense that if it's moving away from a Latvian resort town, putting it in the Russian resort town, mm-hmm. it's part of the vibe. Exactly. This is also around the time that it's, it does start getting referred to more as Russian New Wave instead of just New Wave, which is the actual name of the competition. Move happened in 2015. It didn't seem like there were any hard feelings. By the time the 2016 contest rolled around, you would not have known that there was any sort of issue in play. Ukraine had two contestants in the the competition, and Latvia was in the contest. There wasn't the bickering aspect that sometimes happens with Eurovision hosting. Right. Latvia sent the Queen of the Night, Samantha Tina, to the 2016 contest, which was delightful. (laughs) On their website, they have a little bit more information available for the more recent contests and looked over her repertoire. One of the songs that she performed was Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. And it's like, oh, I have got to find video of this. And (laughs) yeah, it ended up being kind of disappointing. It was very unlike the Samantha that we know and love today. It was a very straightforward performance. She just stood behind the microphone and performed the song. Her hair was brown instead of blonde. Maybe that is more of a personality thing in Russian culture, just based on what we know about Smash. Uh, It's just Mm -hmm. like brown or blonde. The blonde one. Yes. Blondes do have more fun, per the adage. I guess. So they showed the judging panel, and it was like 12 or 15 judges, and they're all holding up paddles with different numbers on them. She got nines, tens, and elevens. I have no idea what scale these scores are. I I thought I knew how the scoring works, and I'm incorrect. It was fine. I have a feeling maybe on a scale of either 15 or 20. It was a middle performance. Also, the video site that I found it on was super sketchy, so we will not be linking to it in the show notes just because I don't know what is on my computer now. One of the major consequences of this change, though, was that the city of Jamala may have lost 17 million euro in annual revenue from this festival because it is a big deal festival. It draws in bigger ratings than Eurovision, and Eurovision is a very popular program as it is. The performances aren't quite at the scale of Eurovision, because again, this is more in the American Idol style of performances, where it is just like the singer on the stage performing. There may be a band or an orchestra, but they're not part of the performance the way that backing dancers would be. It's not like X Factor or Eurovision in that regard. This really is focusing on the singer as a singer, which I think is cool. Yeah. 2020 was canceled before they got too far along in the selection process, so they don't have any sort of weirdness with what do we do with the contestants that we selected? They were pretty much able to restart fresh for this year's competition. There will be 12 acts competing, and a few of them are names that may be recognizable to some of the more observant Eurovision fans. One is Alfie Arcuri, who was a contestant on Australia Decides in 2019, and he was also the writer of Sandro's entry for Cyprus last year. Sero Gavorgian was a contestant on Armenia's Depi Evertzil in 2017. That was the first year that they did that selection show, and that was when I was recapping it on the site. I remembered that name, and I was even able to remember what he auditioned with, and was just like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because <laughs> one of his audition songs was Bang Bang, the Jesse J et al. <laughs> joint. The, yeah, the, yeah, that is mostly just a Jesse J vocal exercise. Yeah, and I don't think people appreciate how difficult that song is. I was in a battle of the bands and my team. I think that was what we opened our set with. It is a very challenging vocal, and there's a lot of elements going on. It's difficult enough for one person to handle it. I, I don't think he was trying to do all three parts, but by the time that you get to the first chorus, you're just like, I am on the roller coaster and I, it is too late. I think he managed to get past that audition, but he got knocked out before it got into the nitty gritty rounds. Jorge Gonzalez, who competed in Spain's national selection in 2009. He's been in the ether for a while. And it kind of highlights the interesting relationship that New Wave has with Eurovision because New Wave isn't a selection method for Eurovision. This isn't how Latvia or any other country would choose their artists. And I think part of that is just because of the timing of it, since it's Mm -hmm. like in that sweet spot of not really in a Eurovision eligibility period. But it is getting you exposure to a lot of producers and a lot of the decision makers that are handling the delegations for a number of Eurovision countries. You can just say Philip Kirkerov. We know. It's not just him. It, like, <laughs> I, it is primarily him, but there is primarily. Yeah, but you're also working with all of these other contestants who have aspirations to do Eurovision or have been at Eurovision. You're also working with musicians with a more global footprint, like these special guest performers that come through. It is like a major networking event, which is funny because number one, I just don't think of networking at all because ew, but <laughs> no, thank you. Gross. <laughs> everybody's trading business cards at the mixer yeah and you have to imagine that the parties for these things are going to be lavish this year's competition there's going to be a lot of recognizable names from the eurovision experience the guest performers and i think this is just one night of guest performers of the six night event dima balan philip kirkorov Loboda, who represented ukraine in 2009 sergey you've got maruv Annie Lorak, Natalia is going to be there, Paulina Gagarina. There's a lot to latch onto if Eastern Europe is your jam at Eurovision. I'm really excited about this year, and I hope it is watchable in some way. The contest is happening August 19th through 25th. It's going to be on Russia 1, which is a weird site to navigate. If if you tried to watch this year's Russian selection, it was there. Like, they don't publish their schedules ahead of time or in a useful way. So I have no idea if it's geo-blocked. Give it a shot. I'm going to go over to my Apple TV when we're done here and be like, is there a Russia One app? If you can find performances, like YouTube doesn't really have them, but Daily Motion has a couple of performances. Like it really is all over the place. But I will say the original songs round can be a lot. I don't know what the criteria is for original song. If it's just like a song that has not been released yet, if it is a song that the contestant has written, not all contestants are necessarily songwriters. Oh, <laughs> Is it like the last round of American Idol where the song isn't great, but it is what Kelly Clarkson's first single is going to be, apparently? Uh, Yeah, like it it can fall into that realm. It gets weird. A mildly uplifting inspirational number. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the other thing to highlight. Just given how rigorous the audition process is, you're not going to get joke entrance. You are getting people who have genuine singing talent and star power. So this should not be wasting anybody's time. Lithuania is not going to send twosome to this. 
I mean, they may try to send them, but I don't think they're going to get through. They're not going to get past the first round. Now I just really want a reality show where Tusman tries to crack the New Wave Festival. It's going to be interesting in the next couple of years, especially as the fandom gets more and more invested in the national selection process. I think you are going to see a lot more of that Eurovision connection, particularly contestants moving on to New Wave as a next step, and then contestants from New Wave moving on to the other music festivals, trying to find that next step up in their music career. It it really is fascinating to watch and to see how this aspect of the music industry works. Yeah. Yeah. And and just is its own separate thing. That's pretty much all I have about New Wave. It feels a little incomplete just because it, it, again, this is just really difficult to research since language barrier, among other things. Level of records keeping. Yes, but this seems really cool and fun and yeah, just a a good summer treat as we wait for Eurovision season to kick off in earnest. (laughs) I feel like all of my questions about the new wave have been stated. All right. Excellent. So that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can follow the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, check out patreon.com slash Eurowhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at Eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we'll be playtesting the Eurovision Song Contest board game with our special guest, Dave Steves. <laughs>